Hey everyone, before we jump into this week's podcast, which I think you'll really enjoy, I interview Sean, who just released a horror book. Now, if you're interested in this genre, or you just like reading, or you need some inspiration for creative writing, whatever the reason is, I have all the links in the description. And this includes where to buy it, how to get a physical copy, how to get an ebook, and also the book cover, which we actually talk about in this podcast. Also, the ebook is 99 cents. So if you have a Kindle or you have any sort of tablet, then I do recommend it. Sean spoke about wanting to give it away for free, but unfortunately, the website doesn't actually allow that. So 99 cents was the cheapest he could put it at. Regardless, if you just want some reading material or you want to support a young aspiring artist, which I think is a great reason to buy something, then have a look and hopefully it's to your taste. Hi everyone, welcome to Safety Last. So today we have a guest. We you're actually the second Canadian person on this podcast, and we have Sean jo- joining us. And um, Sean, introduce yourself. Hi, uh, my name is Sean. Um, yeah, I'm a writer from Malaysia, currently studying and living in Canada. Mm-hmm. Basically, Sean uh, created this message on a Facebook page, and he said, "You know, I am about to release my book." check out the stuff, check out the images. And what caught my eye immediately was how like awesome the book cover was. Uh, I, and may- maybe you can take this as a segue to talk about, you know, the name of your book, um, like, you know, when, when it's coming out and also uh, why you chose to do horror. Oh, um, cool. Well, um, the name of the book is called Providence on All Fours. Um, it's coming out on August 30th. Well, for me, horror is just something that um, has always been a massive part of my life growing up, just as a media. Um, and just as an example, I, I used to read a lot of things such as true Singaporean ghost stories. I've um, never heard of that. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it, it was extremely popular back in like 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And... Essentially, I would read those books and get so scared that, like, I couldn't use the toilet. Like, I would be too scared to leave my room at night in the dark. But at the same time, I loved that experience so much. Uh And and I love that, like, horror can kind of, like, create such an intense space that that people, you know, can exist in for a while. And and it's so visceral. You feel every moment in horror. And and I just wanted to, to make that. You know what's interesting? I feel like a lot of artists who work in the horror genre, their first experiences of horror have to do with the bathroom and the <laughs> trip to the bathroom. I feel like this is honestly a reoccurring thing because I've like looked at other uh, YouTube videos, listened to other podcasts with other horror writers or um, other famous you know writers in this genre, and they mention that midnight trip to the toilet and i just think it's the vulnerability of firstly leaving absolutely the comforts of your bed but also like the vulnerability of being like a cold deserted place and and um just the vulnerability of going to the bathroom and yeah. all of that added together there's just a real fear and, and also um i i think there's something about the fact that weird bugs have the capacity to live in the bathroom like 
you know, the house centipede shows up and you're totally vulnerable. Like you said, like you're, you're in the middle of a pee and mm. it's one of the most horrifying things. And then your brain just like goes completely crazy sometimes. Like, you know, I, I remember like I, I would imagine like, oh my God, while I'm peeing, there's somebody right behind me mm-hmm. right now. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, just stuff like that, that, you know, would, would be would be <laughs> coming from the stories that I read too. You know, like I wonder how much that is us, our own brains, like playing a trick in ourselves and like, creating a narrative so we could almost so like we can feel a heightened state of emotion i'm not sure if that makes sense like but i wonder mm. if that's our brain like oh if there's someone behind us and then like you know you look back and there's that there's that intense fear but there's also that whew there's no one actually behind <laughs> me i wonder if that's uh, you know i don't really have an answer for that but is there is yeah, that well, our brains like trying to create a situation where we feel this intense emotion i do feel like our brains kind of love to run and do whatever mm-hmm. like our, our brains on on a natural level just love being imaginative i mm-hmm. think whether we want it to happen or not like mm-hmm. our brains just love that ex- exercise i think mm-hmm. and i i think it's also just like i don't know maybe i'm just an anxious person you know like but <laughs> but like i'll be in the toilet and and like when i was a kid especially you know and the the dark especially creates so many um it brings so many fears to life. It lets mm. the imagination go so crazy and, and you don't even have any choice in it, basically. Mm. Um, let, let's come back to the uh, book cover because I do want to mention this. Uh, I, you know, The downside of podcasts is the thing that I'm looking at, it's really hard to beam into the other person's head, uh, into <laughs> the audience's head. So maybe uh, um, maybe I'll, I'll slap an image of it um, or put a link to it in, in the podcast. But just to describe it, it is two dogs... Uh, which are kind of facing each other. I'm probably not. Dis- I'm not describing this well, but it's two dogs, and they share. Uh, three. They have three eyes between them, so they have obviously an eye to themselves, and they have one eye in the middle, implying some sort of joined and fused um, dog. This hound hell or hellhound. Is that um, how else would you describe it? I think that's perfect. I think you described it really well. <laughs> okay. I, I think you're just being it's nice hard now. to know what that. No, I'm serious. I I think I think it's kind of hard to tell what animal it is too. But you're right. It looks like a dog. Actually, now look at it. It also looks like a spider. Oh, this is creepy. Okay, it is genuinely <laughs> a creepy image. And um, can I ask why did you choose that title, Providence on All Fours? Um. Well, I I'm extremely interested in our connection between nature and mm-hmm. our connection with um, things like mysticism or, or like strange and weird surreal experiences. Um, and I was really interested in that intersection. And, you know, th- there's just so much about nature that is so strange and mysterious mm-hmm. and just in general things that we don't understand. Yeah. Um, like, like there's kind of a theme in the book of essentially um, people talk questioning whether animals can feel things mm-hmm. or questioning like whether it's possible to imagine how an animal feels. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I just thought that, that there's such an in- intersection between like animals and spirituality and, you know, providence basically translates to God. Mm-hmm. And, and so I really like this concept of just like, nature as this completely ambiguous and weird thing essentially Mm -hmm. 
that we have no real understanding over, but yet we we make so many changes to it. And at the same time, we're a massive part of it. Um, yeah, and these all end up forming together in this weird giant mess. And that's why I thought Providence on All Fours was kind of interesting. The great delusion is that humans are separate from nature. I think that's the that's absolutely. A myth. And uh, what's also Absolutely. interesting, by the way, I'm not just, uh, you know, agreeing or saying, mm-hmm, uh, you know, just because he's the guest. I've, I've actually read some of the work that Sean uh, sent me beforehand. So when you're talking about, you know, animals feeling or not, that definitely reminded me of one of the short stories, which is called Nourishing Itself on the Wars of Our Home. And mm-hmm. that creepy, ugh, creepy, creepy aspect <laughs> of it. Um you know, talk, talking about animals and horror, when we think about aliens, we often think about them in a humanoid form. So they have a big head, uh, maybe a huge head, you know, for an enlarged brain. But on the other hand, um, if we just look at our surroundings, just look at the, the moth or the shark, they look so different and strange to us. Like oh, to me, yeah. it's hard to con- conceptualize. Uh, this might be a totally different topic, but it's hard for me to conceptualize aliens as resembling us when even the nature around us doesn't resemble us. Absolutely, I I totally agree, and and there's so much that, um, that we don't even understand, like about how animals interact with the world. Like, I, I'm really, I'm really cu- like, just just as an example, like a uh, how moths can essentially travel by how the how light's gravity works and i don't really understand that on a conceptual level but that is why they end up like going to light sources because they're they're attracted to that gravity that gravity essentially that's created and i i can't even begin to to say like that i can understand that mm. that's just such an alien experience and you know other animals can feel literally they they navigate through like the magnetic field of the earth like like hammerhead sharks like that's not a part of the story but like things like that about animals are so um strange and and we can never imagine how that living experience must be like and i find that really interesting mm. and uh i'm not sure if you read any any of uh edgar Allan poe or mm-hmm. any of the old um uh gothic yeah the, any of the old gothic horrors but i read this book um called the narrative of arthur gordon pym and it's written by poe and talking about you know nature and, and the weirdness of the world it's a book about a person sailing through the sea and uh being shipwrecked uh the the sailors on board cannibalizing each other because they run out of food and it just transforms something as, I guess, mon- I don't want to use the word mundane because the sea isn't mundane, but mm-hmm. as as um, the sea is still a very regular part of our, our world. Like, you know, we know what the sea looks like. Uh, you know, we, you know we, we've all touched the sea and stuff like that, but it just transformed that symbol into something like terrifying and so bizarre. And it was one of uh, the most terrifying books along with dracula that was that was so terrifying absolutely and and i i what i love about that is is just how um it it kind of 
I, I feel like human beings like to enjoy feeling like we're in control of nature. Mm-hmm. Like we've kind of tamed it and that mm-hmm. we've we've taken and to a degree we have like there's no piece of uncultivated land to a degree Mm -hmm. but at the same time we like to feel that power Mm -hmm. and then we we like to uh, you know even in nature documentaries it's all very beautiful nature it's all very Mm -hmm. even the the violent aspects of it are kind of like clean in a way yeah sublime yeah very sublime but but you know things like edgar Allan poe's like weird reversion of like you know, even cannibalism is like this extremely like intense and like old as as old to human beings like need for hunger, like need for food essentially comes out and that's all natural up to a point, you know. Um so just let, let's return to some of the uh some of your works. Um was there any moment that inspired you in particular when you said, you know what, I'm going to go out and write this book was there a particular mm. experience was there a moment uh, were you walking in a dark alleyway and then something jumped out at you like what you know apart from wanting to create art which every artist would feel was there any other formative experience along with the bathroom trip <laughs> um well I, I would say that i i'm always going out into nature and taking walks and and kind of enjoying what it looks like but at the same time being being aware of how at the same time brutal and cold nature can be mm-hmm. um a, the same way that that human beings can be in the exact same way i w- i would say like um growing up in malaysia was was such an experience like like growing up in and going to into the jungle as an ex- as an example and then seeing both like the intersection of intense wild nature and then like garbage bags in, in the middle of the jungle you know, full of rotting food and like full of plastic, essentially, mm-hmm. um, and and all of this like came together to to make me think about like how how to make those feelings um, visceral and intense and and like something that that becomes like a physical space that became stories, I guess. Mm-hmm. And and I would say a lot of the stories come from have like a big part of like my own personal experience imbued in them like they're very surreal and they're very fictional but at the same time um a lot of my own experience with nature my own experience of with the feelings that it gives me um which are both beautiful and and horrified at sometimes are in the book Mm. so like i said before you sent me some of the short stories and i had to read before uh we're doing this interview and what you said reminded me a lot of the first short story I read, which is Deep Green Gravity. Mm. And I remember reading it and, you know, the first page was like, okay, this is a a person and his grandfather. And then as I continue reading it, there was just this disgusting, sickly (laughs) sheen that I just, it just, it made me very uncomfortable. And the only thing I can think of uh, that somewhat resembles this. I don't know the name of it, but do you know the human fear of like circles or like, oh, um, in in like uh in like our skin or something? Do you know what I'm talking about? The yeah, um, I like have no idea. To... Yes, that's it. That like that's that was the feeling I got. It this sense of like rot that was like mm. coming out into us or in, coming out from our skin <laughs> and just it was uh. 
Thank you very much. Pretty, it was very uncomfortable. Um, uh, no, and I agree with you that that it is. Um, it's a very uncomfortable story at, at many points. Um, but at the same time, I I really you know just being able to feel those that space so so viscerally, I I really appreciate that you mm. know mm. you were able to to have that experience at the same time. Mm. That's I mean that's fundamentally what. Uh, you know, every every artist every writer wants to do and uh talking about your previous point where you said like um all of this is somewhat because of my experiences well that's that's inevitable uh and when mm-hmm. people ask me like yeah. the book i'm writing or you know uh in the final process of finishing um they ask me like you know how much of this is based on you and i always say like you know even if the main character and me are different even if we have different names or we come from different backgrounds inevitably it's hard not to write about yourself. And oh, when yeah. you talk about like, you know, Malaysia and spending time in the jungles or in the forest or in nature, I can, I can definitely see that in your story. So for example, Deep Green Gravity is uh, the story of the protagonist in the jungle. And then we move on to Anger in the Night, which corrective in the late night, sorry, correct if I'm wrong, but uh, it's a story in, set in the snowy fields or mountains. Yeah, it's somewhere in, in like a rural area full of snow, essentially. Mm, mm. So, yeah, I, I can definitely see these uh, these natural uh, uh, experiences or these experiences that you've had in nature reoccurring in your stories. Um, mm. Can I ask a question about your writing? Now, this, when I saw it, my first reaction was like, wow, that is unusual. Uh, <laughs> in Deep Green Gravity, uh, so the story about the jungle, you include a person who speaks like multiple languages so you shift from like english responses and then you shift to like some chinese and then you shift uh you know you just shift all over the place and Mm -hmm. i guess my question is like i don't think i've ever seen that actually maybe i have seen i don't know i'm not sure if i've ever seen that before but why did you do that and how did you come to that conclusion? Let's include this because it can also be confusing to shift between th- these different languages. So why did you end up choosing that choice? Yeah, um, well, I would say that I, I was definitely partially um, inspired by um, a number of Canadian Indigenous writers, actually, mm-hmm. um, and, and their writing. I, and I noticed that, um, oh man, I'm trying to remember the, the name of this book now. But, but just as an example, uh, um, a book such as The Marrow Thieves, there's another book that I'm thinking of, but a book like The Marrow Thieves, like Charlie Dimeline, its characters speak essentially Anishinaabeg, and there is, no, there is not always an explanation for what they say. And I thought that was really subversive and really powerful because a, a lot of our media comes from the Western eye and from a, from a Western perspective. And... You know, just as an example, growing up in Malaysia, you know, we, we had so much Western media and, and just kind of the expectation that you would understand English um, and just the expectation that you, you will be able to understand this language, even though you, you don't come from a country that understands any of the culture that's on the screen uh, or any of the social norms that are happening on the screen or even even in the book. And and I just wanted to to make something that was from... A perspective and, and from my own um, space essentially and I didn't want to um, hold the reader's hand through that 
necessarily, especially in a time when you know we have Google Translate and we have the technology to to bridge that gap. Like like the story has different languages, but I think the there's still enough English to be super accessible, mm-hmm. and then the the different languages kind of become nuggets of of things that can be searched further into, you know, if the reader wants to, mm-hmm. while while maintaining um a world that feels like it's mine. Okay, well, tell me if you think this is a fair assessment or unfair assessment. But uh, most artists, and I would include myself in in this in in this category, they want their book to um be as immersive as possible. I would say that's the general idea. Like you want your writing to feel like a movie that people play in their head, and you want to iron out all the you know all the errors or or anything to make the ride as smooth as possible are you purposely in that one story because i only see it once are you purposely trying to disrupt the experience and also highlight there are other cultures or other worlds that exist beyond just an english-speaking world Mm -hmm. well i would say it depends on who you are when you read the book Mm. Um, like somebody from Malaysia who who understands the the languages that that exist there, will will be able to read that and feel very immersed, I believe, or or at least feel like they're they're absolutely in that space. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I just want to give that sort of experience, and, and I'm I'm hoping too that like already the the setting of the jungle is so antagonistic, like it kind of it kind of goes against concepts of norms in a lot of ways or or you're like it, it's just such it just breaks away from from human attempts to to tame it in so many ways and i think having those m- multiple languages come in and be a a sort of difficulty and added level for people who don't speak these languages it's kind of adds that interesting layer i hope anyway you know that really reminds me of the gothic function so in the gothic you have places such as city centers and metropolitan areas where it's the norm, it's the linear, it's the structured. And then the further you get away from these areas of quote unquote civilization, it becomes weirder. And you even mm. see this in Shakespeare's writing, like uh, whether it's, uh, what's it called? Uh, Summer Night's, um, what's that called? Um, Midsummer's Night Dream, where oh, these yeah. people, uh, as they move away from the urban they come into a land of magic and romance and feelings and fairies and smat and supernatural and is that also what you were trying to do like you tried to similar to what i said about edgar Allan poe with the ocean you tried to recast these areas that such as the snowy fields or the jungle as these impenetrable areas where human logic doesn't work mm. Um, yeah, I, I would say to a large degree, that is what I'm trying to do. But I, I think I'm also really interested because that that creates kind of like a dynamic again, um, I think. Like like as an example with Poe's story of like, the further you leave civilization, the more wild it becomes. Mm-hmm. I mean, like that clearly that does happen. But I'm also really interested in um, how human beings are still very much animals in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, very sophisticated animals. But that, like, um, even in our urban areas, the kind of weirdness that comes from being a part of nature still exists. I definitely saw that in the... I keep talking about the uh, jungle story, but 
uh, perhaps it was the first one I read, but it really struck me of how just uncomfortable I felt. <laughs> um, but I, I guess that would be expressed through um, maybe the, the grandfather and just his, um, he seems to move so, he, he seems to be so human at, at one sense and then also so animal. Maybe mm. there's nothing to really distinguish uh, between these two categories, but he seems at sometimes to be, you know, the loving grandfather and then the other time, like, person really caught in like fear and 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 terror and things like that so Mm -hmm. um it it was yeah i I do see aspects of you uh blurring that divide which literature and art would traditionally uphold Mm -hmm. yeah and i really appreciate you saying that absolutely Mm. um because i feel a lot of those feelings a lot of the time you know like like sort of that that anxiety and i think Things like nature explain a lot to to me in a, in a number of ways, you know, like that kind of weird anxiousness that that like fight or flight response that that people get, you know, and that can really cloud our brain sometimes. I think it's it's something that we all deal with from time to time, and and it scares us a lot of the time too. But I, I think coming to accept it and then to understand that we can do better is is what I'm really interested in as well. Um, I've got a question. I want you to answer with you know out of 10 with 10 being a lot and you know one being not so much but as i was reading your work just a name kept popping up into my head and i felt like there's you know sean must have read this person like there's no (laughs) way that he hasn't read this person so out of 10 how much of your writing or how much of your idea of horror was inspired by ido junji oh well honestly a nine or a ten in my opinion I think Junji Ito's work is... Um, well, Uzumaki left a, a massive impression on me in my freshman year of um, university, my first year. That and novel, oh no, that manga, um, I, I purchased it to read it myself. Mm-hmm. And it... I never want to read it again. <laughs> I know, it, it made me feel it's sick. so it, good. It gave me I, fever, kind of. <laughs> I never want to read it again. Like, it's it's a great piece of art, but like never like i i just i don't know i'm i'm good i'm good yeah. you know <laughs> no more for me <laughs> uh, absolutely and i i just love work that that creates um such intense space like that you know like like you can feel every single moment in that book like it's something that's organic that that just exists there and it, it it's kind of it kind of follows a logic into into something that's completely insane but but at every turn, you're like, okay, I mean, that makes sense, mm. even though it's extremely weird. Yeah. Um, for anyone who hasn't read it, the book Uzumaki, which I think translates to circle or spiral in Japanese, it is about a town that is dominated or controlled by or intimidated by a spiral, which I know sounds ridiculous. It sounds, you know, for anyone who hasn't read it, you're thinking like, what on earth is this person talking about? But the idea of the spiral comes to dominate the town so completely that it's, uh, I don't even know how else to say it apart from it is just bizarre. And would you say, you know, because Edo has influences from Lovecraftian horror, which is just this horror, which is so cosmic and so overwhelming that humans just can't understand it. Do you think you have aspects of that in your own writing? Because Edo was very influenced by that as well. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Um, well, I think I think to a degree, I, I have read Lovecraft, um, but I always thought that Lovecraft did not do such a good job of like he was he did a very good job of creating like insane monsters and insane like like Dagon is like one of my favorite um Lovecraft stories, which is like just this this like image of this alien shore full of dead fish and then this giant monster at the end. But I, but his writing is very inaccessible and it doesn't pull me in in a way that, as an example, like Ito's stories are able to or, or even other horror writers. Can you give um, me an example of like what you mean by unable to pull you in? As an example, um, Lovecraft does a lot of the, oh, it's right behind the door. It's, it's right there. I'm terrified of it. It's going to come in any moment now. I'm horrified. The thing is right behind the door. Or or he'll say something like, oh, and it was so bad that I could not even imagine it. I think, you know, this this is going to happen because it's so early on and, and he really started this kind of weird genre. But now there, there's so many better ways of, of building up that atmosphere and, and kind of creating something that feels a lot more satisfying while not, while not exposing the monster in any way. You know, there, there's still so many interesting ways to to build upon what Lovecraft kind of began, um, and so while while I appreciate his stuff, there are a lot of issues at the same time. I think, J- mm. just with pacing, a lot among other things. <laughs> mm, interesting. So, yeah. what's your big takeaway from writing all this horror? Do you plan to continue in this genre, or, or have you thought about? I'm not sure if you've even thought about your next book, but is horror something you want to continue writing? Uh, just continue writing in over and over again? Yeah, well, I, I think horror will always be a part of my writing style, no matter what, because I, I just have this writing style that feels very uncomfortable, I mm. think, in a lot of ways. It's very mm. close up and um, it's very anxious a lot of the time. It's, mm. it's that kind of very strange writing style at times. And I think I just gravitate to the kind of concepts that horror um affords but at the same time i i would love to write other things like there, there's so much i think horror is is as a genre um can do a lot of different things mm. and you, you know how you said before you felt like your writing was very uncomfortable what are a few other adjectives that you would use to describe your book and your <laughs> stories Apart from um, uncomfortable. I would try... I mean, I hope anyway. Th- these are the adjectives that I hope my book c- creates. But I, I I, mean, it's kind of face-melting a little bit, you know? It's very intense and up-close descriptions. It's very weird things happen. People are panicked a lot of the time. But at the same time, it's. I hope it's very pretty. I think there are a lot of quiet moments and it's very peaceful when it isn't completely high octane mm-hmm. um fear That's and weird. intensity mm-hmm. <laughs> and something else I, I really like and perhaps this is just because i grew up in a metropolitan area and i'm guessing so did you mm-hmm. because of this stories like dracula which like i said was just terrifying for me whilst i appreciate it a lot it always put the horror as something you know like it's something that existed in like a, a castle to me that's what i think of when i think of like dracula there's always something like you know far away in was it like transylvania or something a strange place an exotic land and these horrors you know come in those areas and then they sometimes brush against us 
in the more quote unquote civilized part of the world. Yet your writing seems to, and I know we've touched upon this before, but I don't think I've just given you the praise for that. Like it seems to blur the lines between the exotic lands and the unexotic lands or the familiar and similar to Ida. And, and that's why I asked, you know, if you were influenced <laughs> by him, you just, you're able to find the horror in the, the mundane, the everyday. Hmm. And I find that as a person who lived in the suburb in the city area, like to me, that's just as interesting or well, that is interesting. Yeah. Well, I, I really, really appreciate you saying that. And, and I think, I don't know that there are a lot of, there are a lot of hidden feelings that people experience all the time that aren't said that are very invisible. Um, and I, a lot of those feelings are, are not always positive. They're not negative either. I mean, we, we, it's always such a soup of, of various emotions that we go around with every day. And I think horror is so good at kind of dissecting all those different feelings and, and sort of intensifying those feelings and making them apparent. Um, and I don't know, I, I feel like there's a lot to learn from, from sitting with those feelings. And, and I think horror is, is so good at sending necessary, at, at, at giving important and necessary reminders sometimes <laughs> in a way that's very instant and visceral. Yeah, I think, I think the positive thing about horror is it immediately shocks you and takes you out of this very linear, very structured lifestyle we have. Mm-hmm. I remember watching, uh, this isn't really horror, but I remember watching a uh, David Attenborough documentary and just seeing the beauty on screen and just for a moment thinking like, you know, there is life beyond, you know, 9.30 wake up and, you know, 6.30 come back from work lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Like there is like a whole world out there which we don't always interact with because of just how structured our life is, but it is there and it lurks beneath the surface and it only takes something like a horror story or like a beautiful romance or anything to break us out of that loop and show us that there are other facets, other worlds beyond just what we know. Absolutely. I, I totally, totally agree with that. And yeah, I, I think that's things like things like writing are so good at creating perspective and, and forcing people to <laughs> sort of make that exercise of of dealing with a different perspective mm-hmm. and and i just love what horror um allows mm, absolutely so sean uh give us some more uh, you know to end up with this to end on this give us some more information about your book where can we get it uh you know maybe the blurb or like you know when is it coming out just any more information so the audience uh, and me can go you know uh, look and do some research on this and find out when we can get it yeah for sure well it's going to be published through amazon um, available through kindle mm-hmm. um, it, it will have a paperback version along with hopefully an extremely cheap or a free ebook version it will be out on august 30th and yeah i, I hope that you enjoy the book it, it is super <laughs> weird and i hope that you like that kind of thing mm. Anyway. Just just to jump in, so when I was talking to Sean before this, so this is, you know, the pre-recording stuff, uh, I just remember talking to Sean and asking him questions about like, you know, how much do you want to charge for your, your ebook and stuff? And uh, another reason I asked this is as 
my listeners uh, will know, I am pretty close to releasing my book. So because of that, I'm just trying to get as much information about eBooks, hardback, paperback books, etc. And uh, Sean gave a magnificent answer. And he said uh, something along the lines of, you know, because I'm an artist, for me, the most important thing is actually getting these stories across because I think I want people to listen to them. and I think they have some value. And he said, uh, because of that, he's thinking about either giving out for free or selling it for as cheap as possible because the art is just as important or more important than actually the marketing or the business side. So because of that, I think that alone, I think is just such a such an awesome mindset. And uh, I, I think that captures the artist spirit really well. So, I mean, if you can't think of another reason to support this dude, I think that that's a good enough reason. Thanks so much, Stanley. That that's honestly really, really nice of you to say, and and I seriously appreciate that. Ah, uh, all good, all good. Well, um, what well, we'll end it with there. So thank you for joining us, Sean, and thank you, audience, for joining us on Safety Last. All of Sean's links, uh, the any websites or any Instagrams or any uh, social media platforms, all of that we put in the link. So if you want to check it out please do. Apart from that, have a good day and I hope you are well. Thank you for tuning in to Safety Lost with Stanley Ching. If you enjoyed this, then please leave a rating or a comment. I hope you're leaving with a new idea and make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook and other places that can be found in the description.